Whether you're working a corporate job or building a business, Working Girl Talk is the podcast for women who work. I'm your host, Abby Zufeld. I'm here to help you feel confident walking into the workday and to help you get excited about your career. Now, let's talk. Welcome back to Working Girl Talk. Thank you so much for joining me today. So excited to have you here. We have tons to cover today. We have a ton of news stories and we have some really juicy, helpful, inspiring, I hope it's inspiring, content today. So we're just going to get straight into it. Quick little reminder, if you are not subscribed to Working Girl Talk, click that subscribe button right now so you can stay in tune with everything going on and make sure you get new episodes first. First headline from the Wall Street Journal, Lyft is selling its autonomous driving unit for $550 million. The Japanese car maker Toyota is picking up the business. Its self-driving subsidiary Woven Planet is paying $200 million up front with that remaining 350 mil coming in over the next five years. Very interesting that Lyft is getting rid of their self-driving subsidiary, but they are making a lot of money from this. Next headline, also from the Wall Street Journal, Apple's app tracking transparency update is here. So you may have heard if you work in the marketing field at all, or if you are in tune with Apple, I think I may have touched on this a little bit in previous episodes, but this new iOS update is here. People who download the latest iPhone software, which is iOS 14.5, will start encountering pop-ups when they use any apps that collect and share data. The prompts will ask for permission to do that collecting and sharing. This has been a huge battle between Facebook and Apple and Facebook. I know that I work in advertising and I use Facebook for some of that. And we've had to make some changes on our end to be able to comply with this and to be able to still get data and advertise. It's very interesting to be on both sides of the spectrum here because I totally understand wanting app tracking transparency and Apple providing that information to a user. But as an advertiser, that information is good to know. (laughs) So living both worlds right now. Next story from The Verge, Zoom has caught up to some of its other competitors like Microsoft Teams and Skype by rolling out a special view feature that's an immersive view, quote unquote. The option lets you change the scene of your virtual meeting on Zoom to pretend it's taking place in a boardroom altogether or a classroom or an art gallery, some other type of location where you could have multiple people in the room with you. And I was looking at the pictures of this because that saying that I was like, what does that mean? I already see people, but basically imagine a picture of a boardroom, but you have little squares where all the seats are and you see everyone's faces. (laughs) So it's kind of like everybody has a joint shared background. So there you go. Zoom has that option now if you want to feel a little closer to everyone and there you go. (laughs) Next story from ESPN, actually. Spotify owner Daniel Ek joins former soccer star Thierry Henry. I think that's how you say his name. I'm so sorry. Theory or Tyree. I don't know. Theory. I'm going to go with Theory. Theory Henry and two other former players in a bid to purchase Arsenal. The Premier League club is valued at $3 billion. If you're into the soccer space at all, you probably have heard of Arsenal before. So that's a big deal. But Spotify has been releasing so much new stuff lately. I thought that was kind of funny. I was like, oh, they're the Spotify owner Daniel is 
getting in on the soccer action now, or at least trying to. Next and last headline from NBC News, Kanye West's Nike Air Yeezy One sneakers sold for $1.8 million, which is the most ever for a pair of shoes. Most expensive sneakers in the world. Now that's a good little piece of trivia for you if you ever want to impress somebody. And now moving on to today's episode. Today's episode has been inspired by some recent events in my life. One was I was listening to an episode of How I Built This, which is one of my favorite shows, and it was about a brand that I use all the time, and I was so shocked to find out they had been around since the 90s. I thought they were new, and we're going to talk about them. It's not going to be a secret for long, but I thought they were brand new, and I was like, wait, you've been around for this long? So then I got that kind of idea, that feeling that always comes back to me when I reflect on it long enough of, wow, success really takes a long time. So that whole concept. And then two, I saw a quote on Instagram. That's how all things start, right? (laughs) So a combination of those two things has led us to today's episode where we are diving into not overnight successes. I don't even think overnight success is even possible. So do you ever feel like everyone is ahead of you? I know I do. Some people are just successful and that will never be me. Sometimes those thoughts come to our mind. You're not the first one to feel that way. And guess what? There really is no such thing as overnight success or that fast track to it, no matter what anyone says. True success and that fulfillment, whatever success looks like to you, it can take a long time and it's a lot of hard work. It's not easy. So your dream business, your dream career, family, all of that, that can happen later, maybe later than you expect, maybe later than you want, but it can take some time to get there. We all start somewhere and that's actually a great thing. That whole road travel to get us to where we want to be, that is the whole time it's preparing us. It's little things, little moments preparing us for when that success or whatever that looks like, when that does come. Now here's the Instagram graphic I read because this will provide the context for sure for this inspiration. So it's from an account called Coingrams not sure what that even is, but somebody shared it and I was like, wow, I love that and saved it. And now here we are. So the quote said, a Chinese bamboo tree takes five years to grow. It has to be watered and fertilized in the ground where it has been planted every day. It doesn't break through the ground for five years. After five years, once it breaks through the ground, it'll grow 90 feet tall in five weeks. Just let that sink in, everybody. (laughs) I thought that was so inspiring. That quote hit me really hard. It really puts things into perspective. I know it's an analogy, but I wanted to show you some specific examples of people that this is so true. This bamboo analogy, this is so true that bamboo is growing and all under the surface and then finally it sprouts up. And when it does, whew. It, it gets super tall. So I, I don't know any of these people, but I've been super inspired by their stories and you may love them, you may not, but they are inspiring and they did work really hard to get where they are. So to kick us off, we are actually starting with the star of that episode of How I Built This that I mentioned a few minutes ago that I was so shocked that they'd been around for so long. So we're starting with that brand, which is Kodiak Cakes and Joel Clark the guy behind Kodiak Cakes. So I was listening to that podcast, How I Built This, which is also amazing. So make sure you're subscribed to Working Girl Talk, but then you can go subscribe to that one. 
But I was listening to the to Joel Clark's story and I was so shocked because I discovered Kodiak cakes like a few years ago shopping at Target. Like I, I didn't know they had been around for so long, but they've been around for 20 odd years. It is crazy. <laughs> Just a little bit of background on him. He first started off selling door to door. He would sell his mom's pancake mix recipe as a kid. And then later in his life, actually in 1995, his brother decided to resurrect their little door to door kid sales and make it a business. So by 1997, his brother gave it over to him. He said, hey, do you want to take this over? Because he kind of helped him out during those two years. So they were pitching ski towns and grocery stores. They had success. But if you listen to this story, there is so much financial struggle. He almost went bankrupt. There is just so much chaos and stress and hard work, but he just kept going. He really believed in the pancake mix. So Definitely recommend listening to that episode of How I Built This with Joel Clark. That like super struck me, but just the fact alone that this was kind of started in that mid-90s, late-90s era that now in recent years I've heard about them. So he's been going for a long time, but I think now when you see it on the shelves, like, oh, Kodiak cakes, you see the Kodiak grams, the pancakes, the, the waffles, the mix, you think like, oh, like this new brand but you don't see all the work and the years that it took to get here. So as of December of 2020, Kodiak Cakes is approaching $200 million in annual revenue as one of the best-selling pancake mixes in America. So starting in that in 1995 and 1997, that era, pitching ski towns and grocery stores and just getting everyone in on the pancake mix, all that hard work and financial struggle and everything that went along with it, worth it now. So I definitely recommend listening to that episode, but maybe you are shocked like me and didn't know that they've been around for that long. So they've just been working under the radar and we didn't even know. Next one would be Martha Stewart. So most of us know who Martha Stewart is, but recently I was kind of diving into her history because again, I was listening to a different podcast called Imagine Life where they kind of talked about the background of her story and it is so fascinating. So she is not somebody who magically, oh, I'm I'm young and now I'm this fabulous homemaker, decorator, designer, who, all the things that she is. It took a long time for her to get there. Like, so we know her as Martha Stewart. She's had quite the journey to be the Martha Stewart that we know. So in high school, she would model and she actually appeared in television commercials in the 50s and 60s and eventually she left her hometown in New Jersey to attend college in New York City. She majored in history and architectural history, did some modeling on the side, and then after college Martha became an institutional stockbroker. So she was a Wall Street worker. There you go. She was in that money field on Wall Street. So in 1976, Martha eventually left Wall Street and decided to open a, open a catering company from her kitchen. Her real success though came after age 41. Age 41, everyone. In 1982 with a publication of her first book, Entertaining. That really inspired me and kind of just hit me hard again because sometimes we think like, oh, they're a published author at 15 and I'll never be that or um, they're so successful now and that will never be me. But we think of Martha Stewart as successful. Yes, she's had a lot of different ups and downs in her careers and some scandals and we'll talk about that in a sec. But like her real like her big break came at 41 with her first book. So it took a lot of time, a lot of hard work leading up to that. And then 
The launch of Martha Stewart Living came around in 1990, 1992. She gets her TV show, Martha Stewart Living TV. And in 1999, Martha Stewart Living Omnimedia, her company, went public on the New York Stock Exchange. And she is actually America's first self-made female billionaire. There's always a lot of like self-made and first self-made. So I don't know. I feel like that's always kind of changing, but according to the sources I was looking at, she is. But five years after her company went public, she went to prison for conspiracy. There's that whole issue, and she went to prison for a few months, and that's a pretty big dip in your career. Well, after prison, she launched her comeback campaign immediately after her release. Her company was profitable again within a year. So, she definitely <laughs> went through some ups and downs and and that's definitely not a good thing to go to prison like on any regard but she is somebody who worked hard and her big break really came later in life which I think is something we can learn from and she did pay her dues and did all of that to make it right again and something that I, I liked here some advice she gave in a media outlet called Artful Living last year in June 2020 she said stick with it don't give up defend your ideas but be flexible success seldom comes in exactly the form you imagine it will perfect for this episode right success rarely comes how you think it will and I think that's a great thing next one would be Phil Knight can you imagine a world without Nike it's one of the most well-known companies on earth and it started by somebody who really isn't so different from the rest of us he loved running he was a track athlete and was really inspired by his track coach Bill Bowerman and to just be kind of interested in the gear that runners wear and he wrote a paper while he was getting his MBA. So obviously, if you're getting an MBA, you're kind of going down that path. But he wrote a paper while he was getting his MBA about Japanese running shoes and how to kind of revolutionize that market. And ended up in 1962, he struck a deal with some businessmen in Japan on selling their shoes, the tiger shoes. And it kind of goes from there. That's kind of the start of he's selling some other shoes and then eventually wanting to design his own with his former track coach bill and nike kind of starts the company went public in 1980 he was definitely a side hustler in those early days working at an accounting firm while trying to figure out his business plan many major financial struggles failed prototypes angry investors disgruntled employees the nike we know today definitely did not happen overnight and even in the 90s they had a big labor scandal which was terrible so they have had a long road to get to where they are, but Nike, huge company, I would say nobody can really argue that it is a success. And it just starts from some crazy idea, which is what Phil Knight always calls it, quote, his crazy idea, um, by a track athlete who was young in his 20s and loved running. <laughs> so definitely read the book Shoe Dog if you are interested more in this, because I can say these like little snippets here of, oh yeah, there was this fail in this, but it's really hard to grasp how many things went wrong unless you read his book, Shoe Dog. It is crazy. Nike is a really good example of the whole topic of this episode. Nike was definitely not an overnight success at all. So it definitely, Shoe Dog is a, a top recommended book of mine. And even if you don't read it, I definitely just recommend reading the prologue that Phil wrote that just kind of talks about his vision on his original idea for this while he was running. It's really poetic, actually. <laughs> so Mikey is another one. Next one would be Melanie Perkins. That name may not be familiar to you, 
but the product that she helped co-create is. Do you use Canva? If you don't, I'm sure you've heard of it or you know at least a few people in your life that do use it. What we see as almost a part of life now actually took years to get to where it is and it still is growing and evolving. And it started out in a very specific industry, which is yearbooks. So I originally first discovered and was learning more about Melanie on an episode of how I built this, hearing about her story. And it is actually super inspiring. So in 2006, 2007, when she's 19 going to college, Melanie was first struck by the idea. She was frustrated by the lack of user-friendly tools available to do some graphic design so things like adobe and maybe some more complicated design tools that aren't really as accessible to everybody you have to do a lot of tutorials and training to be really good so kind of that idea to make design really easy for everyone so she and her boyfriend cliff decide to develop their own and it kind of started as this yearbook design business and again this is the very early like the 2000s and they didn't have any money, so they worked out of a room in her mom's house, and they hired freelancers to build a website. It's a company we use now and very commonplace, and it's a huge tech company, so huge, but if you think about it, like it's been, it's been years that they've been working at this to be what it is now, so definitely not an overnight success. It's really interesting to read about it. Forbes said, I was reading an article about her in Forbes and it said in peak season, so this is in referencing to in those early days when they're trying to get this thing off the ground working at her mom's house. It says in peak season, Perkins mom fed the printers ink overnight. So they they have these big printers in her house and Cliff, her boyfriend at the time, now fiance, worked the phones, cold calling prospects. And when schools would ask to speak with a manager, he simply lowered his voice, end quote. So <laughs> definitely love the scrappiness of that. Really beautiful. And then Ian Forbes also said that Perkins heard no from more than 100 investors. I wonder what those people think now (laughs) that Canva is so huge. So eventually in 2012, they hire on, they get on a third co-founder who is Cameron Adams, who's an ex-Googler, who was an ex-Google person, and he's third co-founder. And eventually they get some seed funding in 2012 and 2013 and the canva that we know today officially launched in august 2013 but if you think about it that's like canva's official launch but they've been working on it through like the yearbooks and kind of under a different name and doing yearbooks since 2007 ish so a few years to even get to that canva point which i think is really cool and they've been evolving ever since canva is growing all the time they're adding new features it's always evolving which i think is really cool next one would be classic probably most people's inspiration when it comes to something like this would be oprah Oprah was actually at 19, while still a sophomore in college, became the youngest and first African-American anchor for WTVF-TV in Nashville. So her start was definitely in journalism and reporting. In 1976, she becomes a news co-anchor in Baltimore. In 1984, she became the anchor of AM Chicago. And in 1985, the show is renamed The Oprah Winfrey Show. So I kind of like to look at that juxtaposition there because she's working as a co-anchor in Baltimore in 1976 and then gets that show in 1985 and then that show the oprah winfrey show gets national syndication in 1986 she had to work at it for 
years. It did not happen overnight. She is working at it years, developing her craft. And I think sometimes it's like, oh, it's Oprah. Like she has her show. She has all her stuff, but she had to put in the work too. And she, even before all that, her life, like she put in a lot of work to get here. And in 2000, which is crazy to think that that's 21 years ago now, she launches O, the Oprah Magazine, and the Oxygen Network. And February 2003 becomes the first African-American woman on Forbes Magazine's World Richest People list with a net worth of $1 billion. That's 2003, and she is starting out in the 70s. So again, success takes a long time and a lot of hard work. But I think it's important. I kind of like that hers is in more of a timeline style. I found a really intuitive timeline so that's why hers is like this and I think that's really helpful to kind of see because yes like success whatever your vision of success takes a long time but there's also really great milestones along the way that should be celebrated and since then so many things in 2011 she launches own the Oprah Winfrey Network debuts and since then that's just 2011 she's done so much since then like an Apple TV show like everything so Oprah has definitely been one to always evolve and always keep working and I think that's something to be inspired by for sure and next and last one on our list is Vera Wang she was actually a figure skater as a kid and that was what she wanted to do with her life but it didn't work out for her which seems like from everything I've read that kind of devastating for her but that is still something that she likes to do and she was actually a journalist before getting into the fashion industry at age 40 which right then and there, I think that's super inspiring because again, this age right now, I feel like we're, oh, I'm in my 20s. I have to find the, the dream job or the dream career, all the things. And sometimes you don't get there. You're kind of weaving. You're getting experience. Going back a little bit, Vera Wang was hired at Vogue magazine as an assistant and she was named the magazine's youngest ever fashion editor in 1972. She decided she wanted to step out into the design side. And so in 1987, she joined Ralph Lauren. Now that she's at Ralph Lauren, she began planning for her own wedding. She found that her needs were not being addressed by wedding dresses available. She was really disappointed in the options. She knew she was older for a typical bride, but didn't think that should stand in the way from getting a beautiful dress. So she decided to create her own. She designed it and hired a dressmaker to tailor the ground. And in 1990, she opened up her own bridal studio in New York. So cool. I love that she saw that need and was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it myself. So I think that's really cool because the Vera Wang, like we know that name today as a designer. No, didn't start at that. She was a journalist, saw a need, decided to break into this industry. So super inspiring. And again, sometimes you don't find your fit. Sometimes you don't get there until later in life. It may not happen overnight, but success will come if you keep working at it and keep following your path. That was six people who were not overnight successes. And is anyone really? I don't think so. Dreams can take a long time, but it doesn't mean they won't happen. I think sometimes we see the highlight reels on social media and think that, oh, that will never be me. But we all have our own personal timeline. And we all have our own version of success. And if you take anything away from this episode, it's don't compare your step one to somebody else's step 30 or step 100. We're all at our own place and we're all at our own timelines. And if you want your dream career or dream business or dream life, keep trying. 
I think that's something we can take away from all of these examples and probably hundreds and hundreds of more that we didn't get to discuss today is that they kept trying. They tried new things. They took risks. They just kept working. Even when things went bad or money struggles or scandals, they just kept going and kept trying. And I think that's something we can all learn from, from the minute little disappointments in the day to maybe some bigger ones in life that if you just keep trying, eventually you'll figure out the path you're supposed to be on and eventually you'll find your version of success. So I hope that was helpful for you. At the end of every episode of Working Girl Talk, we do a Friday favorite. Today's Friday favorite was actually doing the research for this episode. So I I think we can learn so much from others and I know I learned a lot just from researching these people and I am linking to every resource I used. So make sure to check out the resources, listen to the podcast recommendations. I highly recommend learning more about these people because even if maybe you're not a fan of them for some other reason, their journey and their hard work is something to learn from and be inspired by. Thank you so much. Make sure to share this episode of Working Girl Talk with somebody who may need some inspiration right now. Even feel free to take a screenshot right now and share that to your Instagram story or to your LinkedIn and tell us what you think of the episode. Make sure to subscribe. And if you love Working Girl Talk, make sure to leave us a five-star review. Thank you so much. I hope you have a wonderful work day. I will talk to you next week.